Today's episode of The Buffalo Beat is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find them on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Well, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Buffalo Beat, where we are now within one week of the 2020 NFL Draft starting. But we are recording this on Friday, April 17th, which means we are basically a uh, a week ahead of when the Bills will actually pick, because it's probably not going to happen. Them them selecting in the uh, in the first round of the. 2020 NFL draft after the Stefan Diggs deal that gave them their top receiver on the roster. But there is plenty to, to discuss because that means there are that many more variables about what the Bills might do on day two of the draft as uh, as we get going here. So uh, welcome in, everyone. Thanks for joining us once again. Uh, we are We'll be going over some of some of the players that maybe we we haven't discussed uh, at length here. You know, we've talked a lot about needs and and the areas they could go, but but maybe some some more specifics. My name is Joe Biscalia. Thank you for listening to us. My co-host is Matthew Fairburn, and uh, and however you're finding us, whether it's on the Athletic Podcast Network or uh, one of the free avenues, thank you for being here. But uh, but Matthew, it's draft week. It's a little bit different. But still, it's kind of it's been kind of fun engrossing ourselves in just the whole draft process because you know it's it's the only thing that's kind of going on um, uh, it, it sports wise, and it's it's allowed us to kind of put our full sole focus on exactly what uh, what might happen on those three days at the end of April. Yeah, I imagine these will be some of the highest ratings that the NFL has ever gotten for the draft and they won't even have to really put too much money into it because they're not doing it live anywhere. And I, I would guess that, you know, it's usually pretty well, well watched, but I, I think people are going to be gobbling it up. It's the only, it's going to be weird when this is over because then we're really going to hit the the quiet part of the sports calendar in terms of, no games being played. People are just going to be waiting for anything. Nobody knows when the NBA draft will be, if they'll, you know, assuming they'll have it at some point. But there's a lot up in the air with the rest of the sports calendar and the NFL calendar even. But this is the one thing that we've had to kind of look forward to and and dive into. And it's going to be it's going to be exciting to watch it. And we get to kind of sit back and watch on the, yeah. on the first round and be one of those uh, – one of those millions of people just spectating because it doesn't look it, like the bills will be doing much that night. I'm actually like quite excited just from covering drafts in past years when we're all kind of in the same room and it's cool being doing that experience where you're in the media and uh, everybody's all kind of reacting to picks at the same time. But I also kind of love the drama of the draft, and a lot of that gets taken away because someone will see a tweet and they'll be like, "Oh, this guy got taken," and it's like, "Well, shut up, dude!" <laughs> like I don't, I don't want to know. I want, I want to, I want to see it unfold. Um, it, unless one of us breaks uh, breaks the pick, then that's cool. But um, if it's just someone that's that's getting the picks ahead of time and you're and you're yelling it out i'm like i don't i'm not i'm not really into that sort of thing so so the, i'm at least excited for that aspect of the draft especially on thursday night because that's the time when it happens the most but yeah i feel like round one in the media room is kind of like a little bit overload like sensory oh, overload completely. especially when they're picking it was a little yes. bit fun you know a couple of years ago when uh, they didn't have a first round pick the year they took Ronald Darby uh, with their first pick in the second round. You That's know, true. you know, you're kind of like, all right, none of us are really on the clock. We'll probably still have to, you know, 
work when this is all said and done because somebody will come out and they'll talk about you know what happened in the first round and you'll need to know what the best options are in round two all of that mm-hmm. but that was yep. a similar situation but yeah on when the bills have a pick in the first round which is most years i mean especially you know think things just happen so fast it's like sensory overload there's everybody talking like you said people shouting out picks you completely miss the spectacle portion of the draft yes the the tv event because you're not paying attention to that you're you're preparing for all the different scenarios that could happen for the bills trying to get information on what's happening in the picks ahead and you're not really looking at that when it's fun what i'll miss is days two and three in the media room mm-hmm. when yeah smaller true. crowd you know kind of a skeleton crew were there for a long time like um and you know it's just fun the banter and it's less of a tv event at that point you want yeah. the the picks ahead of time on twitter and you know there's a little bit more downtime not so much with the immediacy and the the high stakes nature of the first round. That's the fun mm-hmm. part that, that I'll miss sitting in the ba- the back room of, of the media room. But I think, you know, you're right. The first round, I, the last time I watched it on TV would have been 2014. And the last time I watched it on TV without any work responsibilities, I don't even know. Yeah, right. I mean, we'll have, <laughs> and we'll have some work responsibilities on yeah. Thursday night. We won't be completely devoid of it, but, it will be at home and kind of enjoying the, and it'll be a unique TV broadcast, right? It's going to be yeah. weird. It's not going to be at a location. It's not going to be at Radio City Music Hall or in Vegas. It's going to be a unique, probably the only time we'll ever see this um, unless yeah. it goes really well and they decide to keep it this way. Yeah. I'm looking forward to some doggos getting on some of the GM's uh, 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 Zoom accounts and, <laughs> interrupting a pick or something like that. I think I'm looking forward to like the hilarious moments, the unforeseen hilarious moments that that could wind up happening. But who knows if if that'll even happen? Or technical uh, difficulties. I, yes, yes, that, that be, as well. I'm half pulling for some some technical difficulties on night one just to <laughs> see the chaos that ensues. Right. Uh, I also did you notice this? I mean, we we talk about the the draft being the last thing. Well, the NFL's not really committing to that being the last thing because that schedule release is coming oh, out two true. weeks after uh, the NFL draft when in every single year that I have been covering the league, which this is now the 11th year, they put out the schedule two weeks ahead of the NFL draft to really just get everybody fired up. But now they're trying to take advantage of the pandemic window here to where there's still nothing going on. So let they're like, let's spread this thing out. Who? What's the rush at this point? So yeah, they're, they're trotting out that schedule. I, I think the date I saw was May 6th. So May 9th it's still, it's, is the, the latest May 9th. date I there saw, okay. which is, you're right. I didn't think about that because usually we roll our eyes at it being this made for TV event, uh, right. you know, where you're like, oh, come on, it's the schedule. Like who cares? Like it mostly all gets leaked in the hours leading up to it. And it's not really much of a TV event. And it's like, well, now maybe it will be because what else are people watching? So yeah, that schedule rollout is going, it's also going to have, it's going to be weird because it's going to be, I don't know. I'm not going to necessarily sit there and say, well, you know, time for me to book all my flights like I would normally, (laughs) you know, you're like, yeah, they're rolling out this schedule, but they don't know for sure whether they'll be able to, um, you know, necessarily have that exact schedule. So that part's going to be interesting. And I read from uh, the Washington Post, Mark Maskey wrote that when the NFL releases the schedule, which he said either May 8th or May 9th, it's expected to include a structure that would make it obvious that it could be shortened if that becomes necessary. Mm. I would assume that means most of the division games will be late in the year. Um, you know, be kind of pushed back. Uh, but that's also an interesting element of this is they've got to plan this schedule without knowing whether they're going to need to shorten the season or push the season back or whether they'll have fans in the building, all that stuff, you know, who knows, but it will at least give people some hope. They'll say, Hey, there's a schedule. That's yeah. Right. 
it's a sign. I don't know if it's a good sign or what it is, but mm-hmm. it's it's something. It's better than nothing. And you're right. It'll probably be the type of event that all of a sudden people will want to tune into and talk about mm-hmm. even more than they normally do because what else is there to talk about? I will not at all feel bad on the, the day of the schedule release and the day before the schedule release of putting together that stupid spreadsheet that I do where it crosses off e- – potential possibilities of when the bills would would play certain teams that that's like that's like a really fun thing to do to try and like piece together a puzzle so especially with that being like the last sports thing that we'll have for a while i'm I'm gonna have some fun with that and also a point to your to your travel thing you could get some pretty good deals right now if you wanted to book it you could yeah (laughs) yeah, if people are the uh the risk-taking types and like to travel on the road this would be the year there's some great road trips this year if, if all oh, yeah. goes according to plan. They've got Denver on the road, Arizona on the road, Vegas on the road, assuming that stadium gets built. I mean, there's there's so many oh, geez. Uh, I didn't even think hypotheticals of that. Uh, in terms of you know whether things um, fall into place the right way. There's another West Coast, San Francisco. Um, you know, there's so many weird things up in the air because of what's going on, but yeah, if you're the risk-taking type, uh, you could probably score some good deals. Do they go to Nashville again next year too? I don't remember, honestly. I think they do. I think, yeah, I think they do as well. So they've got. Gosh, that's a road schedule and a half right there. I mean, and then you get New York City, Boston, and Miami that are built in every year. So they uh, pretty good. Pretty that would good. be. Wouldn't that be? No, we're not going to get into doom and gloom. But I was going to say, wouldn't that be just Bills fans' luck? This beautiful road schedule and it gets chopped up somehow because of all this all but right. hey we'll we'll look on the bright side and say yeah you got some got some great road trips to look forward to in the fall absolutely absolutely um and they still haven't announced london games so there's still the the london possibility out there so who knows who the heck knows uh let's get into some draft stuff uh the the bills aren't on the clock until 54th overall at least for now, um, I'm sure we'll get into draft strategy at some point before the draft. Maybe, maybe not today, but uh, I think looking at positions and maybe players at positions that fit the mold of what the Bills might be looking for with one of their first two picks. And they have the 54th pick, which is in the second round, and the 86th pick, which is in the third round. So I think there's a a good way to to maybe go about this is tell me someone that you've got your eye on that you think would be a really nice fit. And we've talked about Kyle Duggar up and down, so we will spare everyone (laughs) with, with, with the Kyle Duggar stuff, even though both Matthew and I think he's a really good fit with what they're trying to do and all the homework that they've done on him. All of those things line up. So... Who for you, um, I don't know, pick a position. Like who who to you uh, reminds you of a Bills prototype with one of those first couple of picks? You know, we we put together that mock draft this morning yeah. that will be probably by the time people are listening to this, most people, yeah. it'll be up on The Athletic. And where we each made a pick for every, um, every pick the Bills have kind of went back and forth in each. So that gave us what, 14? They have, they have seven total picks. Gave us 14, yeah, 14 different names, um, you know, for people to consider. We didn't double up on any. I did go with Kyle Duggar um, as a little bit of a spoiler alert. But mm. um, the guy that interests me a lot in the last couple of weeks is Lynn Bowden, the wide receiver Ooh. from Kentucky. Okay, And he was kind of a – do everything type of guy at Kentucky played quarterback played running back played wide receiver he's a return guy um he won the award as the most versatile player in in college football for a reason and he definitely plays with a bit of that that nasty streak and I know they brought Isaiah McKenzie back but I feel like they're looking for an Isaiah McKenzie type I think we've Focused a lot on size, right? And the right. and that's definitely a possibility. You know, if a guy like T. Higgins or I like Chase Claypool a lot, and he definitely fits what they do in terms of uh, big special teams guy, good leader, all those things. 
mm-hmm. and he's got the size that they're missing on offense. And they could go that direction, but the other element that's kind of missing on the offense a little bit is basically a better version of Isaiah McKenzie. I mean, Isaiah McKenzie is a fine little player, but they don't have a ton invested in him. And how dare you call him little? Yeah, he is. He's small, and he's <laughs> he's also he can moonlight as a cornerback, which is nice when you need him. Uh, but having that kind of like the Debo Samuel type, right? The the guy that is almost a running back, a receiver in a running back's body in some ways, a guy that can make people miss with the ball in his hand. Stefan Diggs has some of that. I, I think of Stefan Diggs as kind of the do everything, you know, he's your number one. He's your, your, your alpha on offense. He's your guy that's going to be able to win in contested spots. He's your go-to guy, but having that, you know, kind of Swiss army knife slot weapon, like a Lynn Bowden really interests me. I, I think, He's a guy they've shown some interest in during the process, and he he makes a lot of sense uh, for what they look to do. Brian Dable likes those matchup pieces, and I Absolutely feel like I feel does. like he'd be a you know a perfect one. You know, the other guy in this draft is Antonio Gibson that has some of that slash potential to be mm-hmm. a little bit of a running back, a little bit of a receiver. I think you could probably throw Lynn Bowden in the backfield if you wanted to to you know have a change of pace if you wanted to put him and Singletary back there at the same time to throw people off. Uh, having a guy like that would be interesting to me because you don't need to make him a focal point. So yeah, he's rough around the edges as a receiver. So what, you know, Mm -hmm. he doesn't need to be a polished route runner necessarily from day one. You can find ways to get the ball in his hands and have him make some plays for you. Yeah. um, I'm glad you brought up Gibson uh, with, along with Lynn Bowden, because those guys are, you know, I, I think, in terms of matchup-based offensive weapons, and I'm not trying to bring up the uh, the offensive weapon namesake Denard Robinson here, but I am uh, <laughs> having having a guy that can be that jack of all trades sort uh, will definitely help the flexibility of the offense. And if we've known anything about Brian Dable, it's that uh, he usually likes to vary up the types of offenses that he uses from one game to the next and even from one series to the next. I mean, it was uh, this past year was the first time I tracked snap counts in game. And I can't tell you how much of a chore it was on offense for like the first few games of the season. I was doing it because it was just, it was basically like hockey changes like up, oh, go to the bench. Here go, here comes another three or four skill players out, out onto the field. And it's like, okay, who's out there. You have to be so attentive to every single thing, but that's kind of what Brian Dable wanted to do to establish, I guess, keeping the defense on their heels a bit and adding someone like a Bowden or an Antonio Gibson in that capacity would be like, well, that, that's someone that you can use in multiple ways and that helps the offense become more unpredictable. Now, I know Gibson is not like the type of running back that um, Bills fans are expecting uh, the team to draft in this year, in this year's um, uh, annual event, but I think with him specifically, he is he kind of forms two positions or two players into one. The one is one you brought up, Isaiah McKenzie. The other is TJ Yeldon. And if they're really hell-bent on thinking that TJ Yeldon could contribute to them this year, if you find a a younger and more explosive um, guy to be a complement to your offense and also give you some reps as a runner and a wide receiver and do all of these different little things, that's two roster spots that boil down to one that, that you can go into the future with. Maybe maybe it's not a this year thing, but definitely into the future. So I think he would be very much on the table in terms of what they're looking for. And I, I don't know if a lot of the other little speedy backs um, are of the same mold as Antonio Gibson. And I don't know that I would necessarily go with any of if I were the Bills, if I were to go with any of those other ones, but his receiving abilities definitely gives him an edge to maybe fulfill that role. So, um, and there's also the argument for this, like, okay, the Bills have liked to have those differing styles with their top two running backs, and and that's that's part of the equation too, which is why Brandon Bean pointed out that they dressed Frank Gore ahead of 
TJ Yeldon as much as they did last year because Gore was more of that downhill guy. But I also feel like that downhill style is easier to come by, especially if he's going to be a backup, a complementary option. That is easier to come by later in the draft than, say, a a type of like a, a Bowden or an Antonio Gibson here, because I just don't know that you're going to be able to find that type of player in the in the in the late stages, like sixth or seventh round. You could definitely find a guy that's just going to mash his head into the into the defensive line uh, and and get you tough yards and, and you know really be that downhill downhill as <laughs> Dane Brugler wrote about one a banger, if you will. Uh, I think I think that's that's probably easier, but. You know, if a Gibson isn't there and the value isn't right, you don't need to force it too early, right? Yeah, that, you know, because I went Bowden, and while we're on the topic of these running backs that have some movability uh, in terms of what you can do with them, DJ Dallas is one that if they wait, Mm -hmm. exactly what you're talking about, you don't need to necessarily invest heavily in the position to get a guy who can bring something to the table. And DJ Dallas is... Uh, out of Miami, he's got some of that, you know, that that banger to him, if you will. Uh, but he can catch the ball out of the backfield. <laughs> you know, he came to Miami yeah, as sure. a receiver, and he can block too. So you want a guy that can get on the field for you if you're looking for a compliment to Devin Singletary, and a guy that can do a little something different. Uh, just has a different flavor mm-hmm. to his game. And I like DJ Dallas. Uh, I think, um, you know, as running backs do it's easy to find some on day three that you like and can talk yourself into because Absolutely. it's a devalued position in general we talked about it on the last show i cer- certainly have not ruled out the idea that they would dip into that pool in the second or third round depending on how things shake out i don't necessarily expect it but um i think you know guys like dj dallas on day three gibson could very well be around on day three. And then you can just go down the list uh, of some other guys that, mm-hmm. that present pretty good value at that spot. It's not impossible to find those guys. And that's it's a fun position to, to watch and kind of project yeah. because it's one that people pay attention to all the time because of fantasy football and various other reasons. It's just one of those flashy positions. But uh, Dallas is a guy I've taken a liking to. And I think if you go for a Lynn Bowden type, you're not necessarily looking for – that doesn't check off your box at running back. I think Bowden is right. Bowden's yeah. probably right. more of a receiver. Gibson is probably more of a running back, which is funny because they almost did more of the other in college. Uh, like they were <laughs> almost flip-flopped in college. But they're they're mm-hmm. both, you know, do-it-all do type of guys. The fact that Bowden played quarterback as much as he did is kind of funny. Um, if you want to have, uh, you you brought up Denard Robinson, you know, the, he was the ultimate offensive weapon cause you could line him up as quarterback and, you know, then you could have Blaine Gabbard out wide, you know, and who doesn't like that? You know, he's out there catching passes and running end rounds. You get Lynn Bowden in the backfield and you get Josh Allen out as a receiver. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, he showed what he can do there. So they like to have these little weird packages and, uh, Brian Dable's offense and John Brown can throw the ball, but I don't know. The more guys you have that can throw the ball, the weirder you can get. I know you didn't plan to talk about Blaine Gabbard in that answer, but damn it, if I if I will bet that you snuck a snuck a grin onto your face as soon as you the thought popped into your head to sneak it into that answer. Well, as soon and, as you brought and, up Denard Robinson, I knew it was just going to happen. Oh Jesus! Um, well, <laughs> that was your fault. <laughs> Uh, It always is, isn't it? Uh, I I think with the running backs, and I know we discussed the idea of taking a running back and the pros and cons of it um, earlier in the draft as opposed to later. I think there's a chance that uh, we might be sleeping on how early some of these running backs are going to get taken this year. Uh, Like Swift, Swift is an interesting one because of his pass catching ability. And I think there's a chance he goes a bit earlier than we expect. Taylor... I don't know. Something about Taylor's game makes me believe that um, the NFL probably views him pretty highly, and uh, that he could he could wind up being a late one. Who who the hell knows? And then J.K. Dobbins will probably be off the board. Edwards Hilaire might even be off the board. So it it might make that decision that everyone's talking about um, 
might make it that much easier to where you do wait on a on a running back later on in the draft and some of those like those real uh downhill guys like a Josh Kelly from UCLA would be good. We talked about Zach Moss a couple of weeks ago from Utah. LaMichael Purine from Florida is another one that, that could be in consideration. Uh, some later round guys like Michael Warren from Cincinnati, same sort of deal. Um, uh, Sewo Olanilua from TCU, same sort of deal. Um, so there's there's going to be options if they're looking for more of a downhill type to be a complementary option uh, for their roster. But I wanted to kind of we we talked about kind of switch guys um wide receiver i mean the guy that i just i think is absolutely perfect for the bills is brian edwards and i know i've brought him up in the past i had the bills um selecting him in my um the mock draft previous to this one the one where i went through brandon bean's entire thought process of what i think his thought process might be and edwards is someone that i think is just uh, an absolute home run waiting to happen um uh, for especially for where they might end up taking him and and how his skills might translate to the NFL I mean he's he's one that I firmly have my eye on and if if um they're on the board at 86 and or if they're waiting around until 86 and Edwards is still on the board at like 78 79 I, I might even feel compelled to call and move up to go get that guy because I think having a guy like that in waiting um to take over for John Brown to mesh up with Stefan Diggs, you know, that, that gives you the, the perfect complementary pair of, of players that can separate and that can win with yards after the catch. So that, that's a guy that I, I really have my eye on for them uh, with that third round pick, especially. Yeah. I, I like Brian Edwards a lot. I was pretty bummed that he didn't, he wasn't able to participate in the senior bowl because he was the guy yeah, I had same. circled down there. I was hoping that, that he'd be able to go. I've, you know, Coming into this season and coming into the the draft process, he was one of the only receivers I felt like I knew something about. You know, when I was starting out my research, because he was um, when I went and um, shadowed Brandon Bean and Joe Shane on that scouting trip. They were at South Carolina Ole Miss, and Brian Edwards got like an eighty yard touchdown that day, and like I was like, "Wow, guy's pretty good." And Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to be in the draft last year. It, you know, turns out he comes out this year, but ever since that day, I was like, well, it doesn't hurt when you, uh, you know, catch an 80 yard touchdown in front of, you know, the GM and the assistant GM, like that's something that will stick with them and get you on their radar for sure. And like you said, he's, he checks a lot of the other boxes too. He's that size guy that they don't really have, uh, at the moment. And the injury might scare some teams, which would just be Good news for the Bills, I think, because he doesn't need to be on the field right away. And there's probably a possibility that, you know, guys like that or, you know, rookie receivers in general might have a hard time getting on the field and making an impact in general uh, if there's Mm -hmm. no training camp. Uh, So and there's probably not going to be, you know, the the typical spring work that rookies get in. So you might be okay with saying, all right, yeah, we'll take this guy. We have the luxury of not needing him right away. It's not like he's going to be totally clueless his first year. You know, yeah, it might Mm -hmm. take some time for him to adjust, but you can put him on the field. uh, And, you know, if he takes a little time to get back from the injury, that's fine, too, because uh, they they have, you know, a a top three at receiver that's pretty strong. So that I think players like that make sense for them. We talk about, oh, they you know, they've only got you know, a handful of roster spots to go around, or there's not a lot of starting jobs uh, to go around. That's when you take a chance on guys who can either a do a lot, right? If you take, you know, Kyle Duggar or Lynn Bowden, those are guys that almost do the job of two people, you know, for the, for the price of one roster spot and one Mm -hmm. draft pick. Uh, Or you can look at guys like Brian Edwards, who you say, yeah, we don't need him right away. And, you know, some might say, oh, that's not the best use of a roster spot, but he's a guy that you can develop and bring along and not force into action. And you've got a lo- the luxury to do that because the starting lineup and, and really the two deep at a lot of spots uh, is pretty good. So if they want to take a, a shot on a guy that needs, you know, has a little bit more of a developmental curve, maybe on the offensive line even, um, you know, some guys that, that need a little bit of work. I think they can afford to do that with how their roster is set up. 
Yeah, I agree. Uh, and with wide receiver, especially, it boils down to, I mean, if if you're kind of on the fence about taking a roster spot, just ask yourself, what would you rather have, Brian Edwards on the roster or Robert Foster on the roster? It's it's really an easy answer. And I know Foster was a darling for a little bit, but you know he just hasn't panned out, and you know he he was stuck to the bottom of the depth chart for a reason last year, and uh, I I just don't know that you should. Uh, the Bills are, in fact, um, accounting for Foster, Duke Williams, some of those bottom roster guys and how they're approaching the wide receiver position. But the thing I love most about Edwards is that he he will fight physicality with physicality at the line of scrimmage and win against good cornerbacks, too. I mean, I mean, watch his stuff against Florida, uh, LSU these are good cornerbacks he was going up against that are going to get drafted in the first two, three rounds in, in this year's, uh, this year's draft. And he's, he's going toe to toe with them. And he's, to me, he's probably the most equipped receiver in this year's draft to be able to deal with the press coverage and the physicality that comes along with it in the NFL, which is what part of why I like him so much, but it's also the footwork and the attention to detail with the footwork of getting in and out of his breaks. That's how he wins with his separation. And that's how I think he's going to win at the NFL level because it doesn't have that breakaway speed. I mean, this is, I could, I could go on all day talking about Brian Edwards. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to spare everybody. And if you haven't watched him yet, go ahead and do yourself a favor, but you brought up a, a name earlier uh, that you said you were a big fan of and just wanted you to expand on that Claypool because he's kind of a, a buzz name for a lot of Bills fans too yeah I like Chase Claypool as one of those matchup pieces too because people some people thought at one point in the process oh maybe this guy should switch to tight end because he's so big he's 6'4 238 but then at the the combine he went out and ran a 442. And that number doesn't tell you everything about a guy's speed, but you don't run four four two by accident, uh, especially at 238 pounds. Mm -hmm. But the fact that he was such a big piece for them on special teams, not as a returner, but as, you know, a, a gunner uh, and as a guy that, you know, likes playing that role, that's, again, you talk about doing multiple jobs for the price of one roster spot. That's Claypool in a way. And yeah, sure, maybe you could move him around and make him into one of those tight ends that plays in the slot occasionally. I think he does some things that that make him a bit of a matchup nightmare. And again, does he need some work with route running and, you know, some of the finer points? Probably, but in terms of finding a guy who can win in contested situations and really be that you know, mismatch guy in the red zone and in some of those, um, you know, tight window throws. I like what, what Claypool brings to the table and he's, he's fast. Like he can, mm -hmm. he can move when he gets going and it's not necessarily, you know, people, you know, dog DK Metcalf last year around this time because he could run really fast in a straight line, but he wasn't the quickest, but you find out that those guys can create problems for secondaries and i think claypool is one of those guys i think there's a reason he's talked about more in the second third round area but i think he's one of those guys that is you know their type of guy in terms of uh, who he is as a person fact that he likes to play special teams and fits in a in a much different way than you know a lynn bowden antonio gibson but fits that chess piece you know title i think because you can move him around you could probably um you know throw him in the slot as a big slot receiver occasionally uh and you know find some different ways to take advantage of his size and his speed and his ability to win in in contested situations i, I think he'd be a missing piece on this offense and mm -hmm. again don't have to make him your number one receiver right away you can make him an occasional guy that that plays on third downs or plays only in the red zone and this is an offense that could use as many of those types of pieces as they can get. There is value in finding players with size that have that straight line speed that we're talking about. And as one of the people from last year, I was not all that bullish on DK Metcalf as a potential top 10, top 15 pick because I just didn't see enough from him to where he could do a bunch of different things. But where the Seahawks got him, that's a great value for the type of 
uh, impact plays he could provide to a team with that size to speed ratio and then with the rest of the stuff try and figure it out because at that point it's not as much of a it's not as much of a, a gamble or is not as much of an investment it's a late second round pick so by all means go for it at that point but and that's why Claypool at, at where he's probably valued which is that late second mid to late third round uh, range I think that's that's smart territory to where you bet on the traits and it's never it's never a bad idea I mean they they have to have uh, some production to back it up especially that early in the draft but it's never a bad idea to bet on traits at, at that type of position because wide receiver is one of those where it's like okay you don't know how these guys are going to translate to the NFL because of how 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 far down of a transition it is from college to the NFL. It's, 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 it's very different for these guys and, and the things that they're asked to do from one play to the next and spotting coverages mid mid play and all of these different things and staying on the same page as the receiver. And then, Oh, by the way, making a catch in contested situations because the windows aren't as big, all these different things add up to it. So yeah, I, I, I think Claypool would be um, a fine, uh, potential selection with that 86 pick 54 might be a little early for me but you know just because they drafted um or they they essentially use their 22nd pick on a wide receiver but at 86 fair game fair game for a wide receiver all right we're gonna get to some other positions and players in just a minute but first some uh, some messages from our sponsors. The first is the Black Tux. The Black Tux believes every groom deserves a better experience when it comes to finding formal wear, a suit or a tuxedo for their big day. Did you know the Black Tux was actually started by two guys who had one of the worst tuxedo fittings you could imagine? It turns out they aren't alone in this frustration. Just listen to these one-star reviews from competitor tux shops that shall not be named. Go elsewhere. This place is pretty terrible unless you're dressing like your grandpa for Halloween. We felt weird buying a suit from somebody so unhappy. We were afraid his bad vibes might follow us to our wedding day, so we left. What we love about the Black Tux is that they have an easy online ordering process that brings your suit or tuxedo straight to you. Just pick a style at theblacktux.com and request a free home try-on so you can feel the fit and quality before you commit. And if online isn't your style, the Black Tux has showrooms all over the country where you can find your fit and plan your look. From there, they'll ship your order two weeks before your wedding so you can check it one last time, talk about commitment there. Whether you're buying your outfit or looking to rent, you won't find a formal wear experience or designs like the ones you'll find at the Black Tux. If you want your wedding to be remembered for the right reasons, order your suit or tuxedo at theblacktux.com and enjoy 10% off with code BILLS. That's theblacktux.com, code BILLS for 10% off your purchase. The Black Tux, formal wear, for the moment. And now a message from Hydrant. Top performers in business and sports often attribute their success to their morning routine, whether it's waking up early, setting their goals for the day, exercise, or meditation, but not everyone has the time to do it all. With Hydrant, you can jumpstart your mornings. Hydrant creates flavored electrolyte packets you mix directly into your water to make hydrating your body easy and delicious. Each rapid hydration mix has the four essential electrolytes your body needs, sodium, potassium, magnesium, and zinc, help you hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. And Hydrant is backed by the research. The formula was developed by Oxford scientists to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors or artificial sweeteners. The formula is vegan, and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Hydrant starts at just a buck a packet for a 30-day supply. You can even save more with a monthly subscription. And for 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BILLS at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BILLS for 25% off your first order. Drinkhydrant.com and enter promo code BILLS. All right, I think we should probably hit one last offensive position, which is which is the offensive line. Maybe just a couple of names apiece that maybe stand out to as to those types that the Bills might uh, might be targeting. Uh, I think the one player we both kind of uh, really like for them, if if he's there uh, at fifty four or eighty six, is uh, Robert Hunt out of Louisiana. I, I know he um, he's got that big physicality, has that versatility with tackle and guard, and and really just. It seems like, even though he's a little bit of an older prospect, it seems like he's got that nasty demeanor that uh, that Brian Dable and, and Bobby Johnson would just love, don't you think? Yeah, he's a guy that they've kicked the tires on, and it makes sense because he's got the the ability to swing to, to multiple spots, and that's something that 
they love to have. And you're absolutely right that he fits fits the mold of the types of guys that they look for. Basically, you've got to be nasty to have a chance to to play for this Bills offensive line. Yeah. And um, that's where Robert Hunt's game. A lot of people talk about how this isn't the best offensive guard class, and that's probably right. But I think you know the ability to to move back and forth and play a, a few different spots. I, I think he's got you know some pretty good movement skills. He's Dame Brugler's number one offensive guard. It's kind mm-hmm. of funny to think that he could go mid second or even you know at some point into the third round, but. Frankly, that's you know the nature of this guard class. Uh, there's a lot of really good offensive tackles. There's not a lot of really good offensive guards. So we'll see what the market holds for a guy like that. But definitely a name I've had circled, um, you know, since the combine and, and seeing you know the way he tested and everything else. He's a he's a good fit for what they look for. And I don't, I still don't think they're done adding to the offensive line. Same. Although I think Evan Bame was a, a sneaky nice addition this late into free agency. Um, I still think they're going to look to have a, a younger body in there to to develop and add even more competition. To be honest, I wasn't in love with with the Bame addition because I, I you know just doing some I, I didn't watch his entire season, of course, because that would uh, that would be insane of me, especially with the draft next week. But like I re- recall during the season watching a handful of Miami games, and he he like struggled significantly um against against his opponents so i don't know if we should really be factoring him into discussions i think he's a good depth option anything like that but i don't uh, just like the daryl williams thing and quentin spain's new contract i don't think any of this is prohibitive to the to your point to adding an, an another offensive line piece whether it be on the interior or at offensive tackle i would i would veer towards interior offensive line um, just because I think that's where the opportunity exists for a rookie to crack the starting lineup as early as the season. But I don't think they're necessarily uh, they're hellbent on finding a starter in this year's draft at, at a guard position. I think if, if it happens, it would be nice because that means they would potentially upgrade one of those two guard spots, which were average last year maybe slightly above average in in some capacities but uh i think they could stand to upgrade there and by building towards the future it would be a smart thing so so yeah hunt should be in the discussion um john simpson from clemson is another one that i think uh, i i recall i think it was marcel louis jacques who had even had a screenshot during the clemson pro day of <laughs> of them working out john simpson the bills uh coaches so uh, i think he's so another one with that nasty demeanor could probably get him a bit later than what you would be able to get robert hunt but he's someone that should be right there in the mix for the bills and what they could do yeah i think they're in a spot where nothing they've done will prohibit them from you know adding more competition up front but i do think the, the interior makes a lot more sense. There's an easier yeah. path to making the roster uh, on the interior of the offensive line than there is um, at tackle just because you, you carry more of those guys. And at tackle, I don't know if, how many roster spots are up for grabs, especially if you're not picking a guy you know early in the, the first round. I don't know that you want to take a chance on on some of the guys in that those next couple of tiers. Mm-hmm. So that's where... If they're going to go offensive line, I think it makes sense to do a guard or a guy with guard center flex, or at the very least, a guy with guard tackle flex, um, just to you know add a little bit more competition to guys like they don't have much invested in anybody on mm-hmm. the interior of the offensive line besides Mitch Morris. Quentin Spain got a pretty decent contract, but nothing that would prohibit them from moving on from him, you know, a year from now if they so choose. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Feliciano, you know, is coming off a pretty good year, but needs to, um, you know, earn another contract. Frankly, this is the final year of his deal, I believe. And then you've got, you know, Daryl Williams and Evan Bame, who are both really on, you know, are guaranteed nothing, essentially, mm-hmm. um, given what their contracts are. Daryl Williams probably a little more than, than Bame. Bame will have probably an uphill a bit more of an uphill climb to to crack into the the 53 but you know so that paves the way for one of these younger rookie 
offensive guards to come in and, and try to take a spot. But again, I think they're looking, you know, it's hard to ignore everything else that's going on and the fact that there might not be training camp or might not be a normal training camp or a normal offseason because where, you know, that's going to impact offensive linemen as much as anybody. There's already a, a pretty steep transition for those guys. And, you know, having all five of your starters back is a nice little luxury. And then having a lot of competition from veteran guys who've been there and played a lot of football also helps. So I think, um, you know, they're not going to force themselves into taking an offensive lineman, but I think there could be some value at guard just because of how much attention is being paid to this offensive tackle class. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think all of that makes sense and they're going to, they're going to have some, solid options another another name to kind of keep your eye on just just in case even if, if he falls a little bit although i i doubt that he does uh lloyd cushionberry from from lsu i could do a little bit of center guard have that flexibility and could be a, a nice little building block piece moving forward for the bills all right let's go to the defensive side of things i'll let you lead off what uh what non-kyle duggar names do you have your eye on for the bills yeah it's hard to, you know he's one of those guys that, um, you know, we've talked plenty about in terms mm-hmm. of, um, you know, how he makes a lot of sense. The cornerback position is pretty interesting. I haven't been able to zero in on too many guys that that jump off the page um, as boundary corners that, that make a lot of sense at 54. Um, I think, you know, that the one guy that I keep coming back to um, in terms of, uh, you know, a, a corner that, you know, maybe they would be interested at that point. Jalen Johnson from yeah, Utah. Totally um, agree. I like him uh, as a, a guy that can be physical. And, uh, you know, he was a, a really good player. Utah's defense was really good last year. And uh, he was a, a big part of that. He's got some good athleticism. Uh, n- maybe not, you know, the guy that, you know, people – think about as, you know, that, you know, prototypical, you know, like press man corner, but they don't really need him to be that because I think he could do that if you want him to, but he can also play off man. And uh, I think you can see the ball skills when you watch him. And and that's a big thing that they look for. That's a a prerequisite for playing cornerback in Sean McDermott's scheme. So I think he makes a a lot of sense. If they're going to go corner on day two, that's the name I would look for because uh, I think he he fits a lot of what they're they're after in um, in their defensive backs and they're good at developing those guys so I wouldn't be surprised if they take one off the board. Yeah, ball skills, tackling, arm length. Those are my three tenets for what they look for in in cornerbacks. Uh, usually, you know that arm length you want them to at least be thirty two, sometimes slightly below that. But more often than not, 32 and up. Um, and I think Johnson is just a shade below 32. But like, there's other guys out there. like Bryce Hall from Virginia might be one to keep an eye on in the third round uh, because he's that that tall, long armed, um, ball skills, sufficient tackler. I mean, probably better suited to a zone defense than maybe a man-to-man base defense. So he's someone to keep an eye on. Maybe later than that, Michael Ojemuda, or however the heck you say his name from Iowa. Uh, we're talking about a player that uh, I believe he has a background in baseball, um, which tracking the ball is it's something, a, a big thing that actually Sean McDermott looks for in his defensive backs. And um, the arm length that I talked about, good tackler, leader at Iowa and you know the Sean process McDermott's gonna love the heck out of that so maybe he's in that third fourth round range consideration so I think they do have some legitimate options there there are some that that don't make sense to me like um Dantzler out of Mississippi State is one I don't know it makes the most sense just because he's a taller guy but his arms are really short um for how tall he is I think he's under 31 uh, let, let me let me double check on that with uh, Dane Brugler's The Beast, uh, which you can find over at The Athletic right now, which is just an absolute incredible resource. Uh, yeah, uh, Cameron Dantzler's arm length is 
30 and 5 eighths inches, which is well below the threshold that the Bills are usually looking for from their boundary corner. So maybe that's someone not to uh, that might you can you can maybe rule out for for what they're looking at here. But honestly, I think there's going to be a run on corners. A lot the same thing with running backs. I think there's going to be a run on cornerbacks pretty early. And I, I think I saw a report today about A.J. T- uh, Terrell from Clemson not slipping past 16, which would be somewhat of a shock just based on the mock drafts you're seeing out there. But that could also have a counter effect to where guys like Jeff Gladney from TCU, Jalen Johnson from Utah, Christian Fulton from LSU, uh, Noah, I'm not even going to attempt to say his last name, from Auburn. They might wind up going before that 54 spot, so it, it, that just might might be um, it might leave the Bills on the outside looking in on the cornerback discussion, at least with their first pick. Yeah, I, and they have been good at developing guys that they pick a little bit later. Totally so, agree, yeah. Uh, and they've put themselves in a position, too, where it's not – a pressing immediate need, um, not as much as it would have been had they not signed guys like Josh Norman and EJ Gaines. Those guys don't fix everything, but they make it a little bit, they give them the flexibility that we've talked about where Mm -hmm. there's not these obvious, you know, needs on the roster that they have to force um, the way they might have in years past because, you know, they can sit there and truly take the best player available. And I think there's a pretty good chance it won't be a cornerback at that spot. It'd be interesting if Stefan Diggs' brother, brother uh, Trayvon, is on the board uh, in the second round. That'd be an interesting way to make Stefan feel a little bit more comfortable in Buffalo. And that, you know, he can play too. He's not, wouldn't be a charity pick that he's a good player. Um, that'd be an interesting yeah. one. But um I don't know that he'll be on the board. Um, you know, he's a guy that could be part of that run you're talking about late one, early two. So I don't know that they're going to be in a position to take one of these guys off the board. I, I don't know if it'll be the best value. Yeah. I don't think they need to try and make Stefan Diggs more, <laughs> more comfortable. I mean, they're basically saying, hey, here's the keys to the number one spot on our offense. So and go take it. Money. Yeah, yeah. He's getting paid well. You he's know. just fine. Uh, he doesn't need and, his brother. But he's a good player. Yeah, uh, he is so a good player. No board, doubt. That'd be a, a nice little. It'd be a, a nice little tiebreaker if they're between him and another guy. But yeah, they yeah. don't. Uh, they don't necessarily need to be. Um, that's why they have contracts. That's why you pay mm-hmm. a guy eleven million dollars a year. It has a way of making people feel comfortable. I so will say, yeah, right, know. right, yeah. I I would feel fairly comfortable with that myself. Um, to switch over positions here, there is someone that Stefan Diggs' brother. Trevon um, is pretty tight with from his days at Alabama and one that um, has even asked for some advice along the way from one Stefan Diggs. So there is a previous relationship there if the Bills are into that sort of thing. And that is uh, Alabama edge rusher Terrell Lewis, who is, to me, would be an incredible value at 54th overall if he's there. I'm not sold he's going to be there. It was actually kind of interesting. Like, um, I like to see uh, what Gil Brandt of NFL.com usually likes to do with his top 150. And Lewis wasn't even in his top 64, which I found incredibly interesting just because of how explosive he is off the edge, which leads me to believe that there's a chance that he could be there on the board for the Bills. And I think edge rusher is one of those spots where if if you're if you're trying to look at what the Bills might need, maybe not in 2020, but into the beyond, edge rusher is right up there with a lot of them because they are not young <laughs> at all outside of Daryl Johnson, and Daryl Johnson is you know, had a solid rookie year, but I don't think that they're depending on his development uh, for the future of the position. Like Lewis to me represents something that you could get that brings some versatility as someone that can stand up and be a linebacker and you can drop back into coverage. Um, he brings that speed off the edge, which is something that only Jerry Hughes does. You wouldn't have to play him right away um, in terms of 2020. He could be a rotational end and learn from Jerry Hughes and Mario Addison along the way. He still has to kind of figure himself out and what he's going to be on a consistent basis, which I think Hughes and Addison will both help with and maybe a a smaller role will help with. But 
when you have a guy with with that much speed and that much fire off of the snap, you take chances on those players. He has the required um, prototypical size that they usually go for. I think he's like 6'5", 267, uh, has over 34-inch long arms. This is this is the prototype that they're looking for. And, you know, yeah, he dealt with injuries at Alabama. The consistent production wasn't there throughout the throughout his career. But he's got a good head on his shoulders, was a was a team leader. You know, I, I bet you Jonah Williams would speak highly of of Terrell Lewis because I think Williams had he and he and Lewis kind of developed a bond while at Alabama and you know as two guys that really wanted to take the Crimson Tide to the next level when when they got their chance out there so he's someone if he's there at 54 even if Duggar's on the board I, I would think long and hard about Terrell Lewis because he's he's to me could develop into something special as a second round pick and you don't get a lot of chances to draft edge rushers beyond day two right you know maybe sometimes you have to take a chance yeah and you don't get a lot of you know there's certain traits required to play that position that you simply can't find after a certain point in the draft and so yeah you do have to do some projection and, and find out you know you know take calculated risks and that's the type of guy that you want to do that with because he's um he's got a world of potential if mm-hmm. used the right way and developed properly, I think he could be um, certainly a guy that develops into a, a pretty productive pass rusher um, in the right system. The On the topic of pass rushers, the guy that I think makes a lot of sense if they wait another round or two would be Kenny Willickis from Michigan State. And he's sort of, I don't want to say the – the opposite, but he's he's probably more athletic than people give him credit for. He's uh, trying to tell everybody he is. <laughs> he certainly is. And sometimes it's hard to tell whether it's athleticism, like quickness, or just effort with him because he's crazy, crazy tenacious in terms of, you know, just being so competitive uh, at the point of attack, uh, you know, along the defensive line. No star recruit, no offers coming out of college, turned himself into a three-year starter at Michigan State. A lot of the intangible qualities that they look for, he would fit right in and, and you know be a seamless fit in the locker room. Maybe you're you're capping your upside a little bit with a guy like that, but maybe you're getting um, you know, a, a little bit of a value too, because people do, you know, thumb their nose at his uh, you know, at his traits and what have you but mm-hmm. i think he's he's got everything else you look for and you know i think that that that's a rosterable player a guy that can make an impact for you and if you don't take an edge rusher in the second round you're probably limiting the chances that you're going to get a true star at the position yeah, exactly. might as well get a guy that can be a you know productive and useful player in some role um, rather than rolling the dice on potential that might not pan out, which is what you're going to get on day three mm-hmm. with some of the other edge rushers. You're looking at the Daryl Johnson types, right? The the freaky athletes that you hope you can turn into something. I think, you know, Willikus is a guy that is at the, his floor is a lot higher than some other guys you'll find on day three. Yeah. Two other names I would keep an eye on in terms of edge rushers, Josh Uche from Michigan, who moves really fluidly for being an edge rusher he's a little bit on the smaller side which uh, i would probably lean towards terrell lewis more so than uche if it was the choice between the two but another guy with speed off the edge and you find a way to get that guy on the field no matter how it is um so if if they just miss out on everybody and uche still sitting there on the board at 54 then uh, they could they could do a lot worse at that spot and then another one maybe in the third round range uh alex highsmith out of charlotte is a good small school prospect speed off the edge what we're talking about um provides that element that maybe the bills are missing elsewhere on their roster that uh, could develop over time so uh, again a lot of its projection with the with pass rushers outside of the first round but a lot of times pass rushers in the first round are 
projection. <laughs> and like, there's a lot of people that are scared off by Chase on from LSU because of limited production. But sometimes you just have to, you have to go for it. And you don't know when that potential is going to be untapped and, uh, and it are unleashed and harnessed. Uh, I think for the most part, uh, you have to be willing to take a chance on an edge rusher. And that's something that Brandon Bean hasn't done yet. And uh, I would say that's that's on the short list of things they could do uh, at uh, with their second or third round pick or even their fourth round pick as well. All right. Did we leave anything out like positions? Um, Non-Duggar. I know Jeremy Chin's another name that's kind of in that uh, in that big nickel role out of Southern Illinois that, that could be into it. But I think we basically covered everything. Cornerback, edge rusher. I think they could look for a linebacker at some point late. Yeah, um, maybe uh, later though. I don't know if it's early. Yeah, I'm thinking like sixth, seventh round. Yeah, um, adding some depth uh, at some of those backup spots. Shaquille Quarterman of Miami, uh, they've shown some interest in, and he's a guy that you know. I, I'm trying to think. He has a. The Bills have a, a strong connection to the Miami program uh, because of the relationship Sean McDermott has with uh, Manny Diaz. And mm. so I'm always interested in guys that play for Manny Diaz's defense and, you know, guys that play for that program because um, he and Sean McDermott have a relationship. And Shaquille Quarterman uh, is one of those guys that, you know, much like, um, you know, some of the other guys they've drafted late, this is a guy that's a captain, um, you know, things that they look for. The other guy uh, I'll bring up is Sean Bradley from Temple. Similar type of deal. Um, you know, that's the type of linebacker I think that they could look for late to fill out and, and add some depth as opposed to spending an early pick on it because they're pretty set as far as, you know, their starters go. The first time I saw Sean Bradley from Temple, I just thought to myself, man, I'm so glad there's another Sean Bradley from the Philly area. <laughs> as uh, the nba seven foot six phenomenon from way back when i don't know if yeah, this guy's right. a little bit smaller than sean, the other sean bradley but uh, you know not everybody can be seven foot six and right. i don't think i'd want my linebacker to be seven foot six i mean the bills drafted a six foot six middle linebacker maybe they do who knows true maybe they could have a seven foot six outside linebacker to go with theirs <laughs> i'd actually I take it back. I'd like to see a seven foot six Why linebacker not? just to fun. watch it. Yeah, I'm into that. Um, all right, so we we gave a lot of. Oh, one other name I'll throw in there. Um, another big nickel option later in the draft, Tanner Muse out of Clemson. Um, kind of similar athletic profile to Milano uh, when he was coming out of Boston College. Size, weight, speed, um, agility, that sort of thing. Uh, I think I think that could be something that they look for later on in the draft if they don't go the the Duggar or Chin route in the second third round range. So a lot of good options there. And I know we we didn't limit it to only the second and third round. We threw some late round guys in there as well. But uh, I feel like we're in a good place heading into next week. It, I'm I'm quite excited to watch the first round and then recalibrate and see how it all unfolds and what Bean and his uh, his staff will inevitably choose to do. And yeah, it, I, the strategy part of it is the other compelling point to this. And that's something we'll go over um, in our episode leading up to the draft next week. Uh, we'll, we'll probably record it on uh, Tuesday or Wednesday of next week. So that way you guys can listen to it on, on Wednesday and Thursday leading up to the draft. And I'm sure it even would even uh, take... In, take you into Friday as well because you know the Bills probably aren't going to be doing anything on that Thursday. So yeah, I'm excited. How about you? Yeah, I think it'll be a a unique draft mm-hmm. in a lot of ways, and the fact that the Bills aren't picking on day one will will take some of the sizzle out of it. But they'll just be even busier on days two and three, trying to find those those impact players that can contribute early. I think it's going to be a I think it's going to be a fun draft. I mean, the draft's always fun and. Mm-hmm. it's going to be extra fun because we've been starved of sports for over a month now. Oh, yes. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this time around. Uh, thank you for listening. If, you, if you're listening to this on, I don't know when it's going to post, but go check out our, our uh, dueling mock drafts. Um, we used uh, Pro Football Network's draft simulator, and we uh, we each made... 
a pick for the Bills for every single round. And uh, a lot of the names you heard in this podcast, some of them appear in there as f- what could be fits for the Bills and and what they're looking for in the 2020 NFL draft. So, And also go check out uh, Matthew Fairburn's latest piece. He caught up with Terrell Owens, uh, and which is a really fun time because you actually got a chance to talk with T.O. And he, he discussed his, his one year in Buffalo. So go ahead and do that. You can, uh, you can go to theathletic.com slash the Buffalo beat and get a 90 day free trial right now. If you're not a subscriber already. And if you are a subscriber, thank you so much for, for doing what you do. We, we appreciate you and all that good stuff. All right, Matthew Fairburn, any non Blaine Gabbert sign offs that, that you want to give the podcast universe today? I will dedicate it to Terrell Owens saying that he still thinks he can contribute as a third down red zone weapon for these Buffalo Bills at 46 years old. I'll leave the people with that thought to to chew on heading what, into the weekend. What a tease. What a tease. And um, I will see that and give you Carlos Williams thinking that Doug Whaley should drink bleach. Yeah, that... <laughs> T.O. didn't go quite as far as Carlos Williams did, but um, not not bad for back-to-back uh, guys to talk to yeah. in the last couple of weeks. They've, yeah. been, uh, they've kept me entertained while sequestered to my house. Yeah, good job there, Mr. Fairburn. All right, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of The Buffalo Beat. We will talk to you next week for Draft Week, which will be a lot of fun. All right, everybody, talk to you then. See ya.